0: So you, you remember this is the longest, most extensive, single conversation that Paul has on any theological topic uh, in the New Testament. And the theological topic that he is discussing is resurrection of the body. That's, that's his topic here at the end of um, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, one of the things, in a lot of ways... It's much easier to teach this text now than it would have been a hundred years ago. Uh, You are living, and I've said this before, this is summary review, you're living in a period of church history where thanks to several particular um, New Testament scholars, the church is is reviving what we've always known. Uh, We've always taught that at death, the spirit or the soul goes to be with God in heaven, We've always called heaven the intermediate state in Christian theology. Uh, What happened, though, beginning at the end of the uh, 19th century is you lived and you died and went to heaven, and that became the totality of the way uh, the Christian community was envisioning what happened at death. Uh, The church never believed that was all there is, Uh, what the church has historically always said and what Many of us profess every Sunday in the Apostles' Creed is we believe in the resurrection of the body, and what happened um, for a couple of few generations until uh, recent um, recent years is there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who thought resurrection of the body was just a metaphor for eternal immortality for going on forever and ever spiritually uh, as we've said several times as we've been looking at resurrection of the body as as christians what we know from the new testament is we combined we combined the jewish belief in resurrection of the body along with what was common in the greek world the immortality of the soul uh what happens occasionally though and it's never been uh the official theology of the church but what happens occasionally in practice is people or groups within the church either seem to believe one or the other. Immortality of the soul, you know, you die and then just spiritually live forever. Uh, or resurrection of the body, uh, that at the end of history, your bodies will be resurrected and reunited with your spirit. The historic faith says yes to both. We, all, we always said yes to both. Uh, that's why if you look at historic Christian liturgies, in the sanctuary, at a funeral, a lot of language about uh, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. A lot of language about immortality in the, in, in the service within the worship context. But then you take the body reverently, or the remains, or the cremains reverently, and lay them to rest. And that's particularly in the liturgies of the church where at that point, we talk about the general resurrection of the dead, um, and we, we've tried to hold both together in the Christian faith. Uh, so here, when, when Paul is talking about the resurrection of the body, he's talking about the resurrection of the body. He's talking about what will happen at the hen, end of history, what will happen when uh, Jesus completes his work, when uh, the kingdom comes, when God's will will be done on earth just as is presently being done in heaven. So uh, he's not really talking about what happens to you at death. There's a few hints here. Talks, he talks about that in other places. But here he's talking about resurrection of the body. So we're in, I think, it's a rather exciting period of church history where a lot of Christians are beginning to realize that when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, we, we mean resurrection of the body. Uh, because body, matter, the physical world, creation, is sacred in the Christian church. Uh, that's why we invented hospitals. We started hospice movements. We've, we've promoted, you know, the medical world. We believe you should take care of your body. Uh, we believe that the material world matters. Matter matters. Um, we're, not, we're not Buddhist. We're not Hindu. We're not Platonic. And, you know, all that world just, you know, the body and material world and physical nature is sort of substandard. The only thing they're concerned about is the spirit. Uh, we are both. We are both. Now to quote John Wesley, uh, we all, we humans, had much rather run from east to west and never stop in the middle. But we believe in both resurrection of the body and the immortality of the soul. So that's why at death, uh, you, you are immediately ushered into the presence of God if you die in Christ. Um, your your spirit is held. Your your body is in bliss or it's a good place. Heaven is obviously a good place. Uh, but heaven is the intermediate state. That's where your spirit resides until the resurrection of the body at the end of history. So, um, you know, when you're in worship on Sunday mornings and we do the apostles or the Nicene Creed and we say that we believe the resurrection of the body, you, you, you poke your neighbor and say, we really believe what we just said. That's not a metaphor for ongoing spiritual reality. And again, we know that because of our Jewish connections. You've probably sung the song about Ezekiel's dry bones, how those dry bones come together and they come back. and So, yeah, um, we, we, we do both. In the Jewish tradition, we know about resurrection of the body. The Pharisees in Jesus' day accepted resurrection of the body. Sadducees did not, but Pharisees accepted resurrection of the body. But um, uh, we are rather Greco-Roman in that we do believe in immortality of the spirit. So what Paul is talking about here, he's trying to paint you a picture, trying to paint his picture. Of what the resurrection of the body at the end of history will look like when the kingdom comes, when god 's will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, um, you you know now again, by default, we act like we don 't know, but you know what the bible you know what the Bible teaches we don 't just look forward to going to heaven we do, but ultimately beyond that you 've heard the book. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth that will come down. So um, hold that together. Uh, you can't do this section of 1 Corinthians without holding it together. He's talking about the resurrection of the body. So he's, he's painting a picture of what's going to happen at the end of history. So in 1 Corinthians 15, he presents the gospel, the basics of the gospel. Then he starts um, rhetorically, because these Greek's. These Greco-Roman people in Corinth, that is a Roman colony made up of mostly Greeks. There's a few Jews running around. But they, they, they think that the Jewish concept of resurrection of the body is vulgar, materialistic, uh, not very spiritually mature. So uh, you're going to see that in just a second. Paul can get a little heated with his response to, to their questioning because they don't believe in the resurrection of the body. It's, it's just not part of the Greek world. Paul's trying to make them Christian, which means they got to be Jewish to a certain extent. Uh, but he's having a little hard time here, and you see that at the beginning of our text. So he's already talked about resurrection of the body in general. He's talked about how Christ was the first fruit, how because of Christ it's something that is coming our way one day. So, and then last week he talked a little more about Um, Baptism for the dead, that was one of the topics from last week. So we're really in the meat of the chapter now from verse 35 through the end of chapter 15. So he's still trying to use rhetoric, logic, to convince them of the reality of resurrection of the body. Because that's a hard sell for Greeks. Look at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So just kind of pause for a second. Uh, One, you're going to see this question makes Paul irritable because they just keep asking. The Corinthians have a hard time accepting resurrection of the body. Um, You're going to see that in a second. But before he paints the picture of what your resurrection body is going to be like, it would be really interesting if I go around the room and say, maybe you haven't read this. What do you think your resurrection body is going to be like? Uh, That would be an That would be an interesting American. um, It'd be interesting to see what Americans, how Americans would would figure that one out. What the resurrection of the, what what they would want out of a new body. Uh, I'm 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 afraid I might know what they might want out of a new body, and it's not necessarily what Paul wants out of a new body, or what Paul says we're going to get out of a resurrection body. But he's going to start talking about what kind of body. There it is in verse 35. The word body will occur nine times in this text. He is talking about a body. You know what a body is. Um, How are the dead raised? What kind of body? With what kind of body do they come? He's irritated. Verse 36, you foolish person. He's getting to the end of his... um, rope dealing with these people because they don't want to accept, they have a hard time believing resurrection of the body. They can deal with, you're going to live spiritually forever, but they just cannot deal with the Jewish concept of resurrection of the body. But Paul's still trying to work with them even after he calls them fools. In verse 36, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So he's going to use several examples here to say you already know this. You already believe this if you stop to think about it. Uh, So he's going to talk about how seeds have to die before they come back to life. Verse 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be. In other words, you put a seed in the ground. What comes up out of the ground is going to be different, uh, connected. What, What you have to understand about resurrection of the body, there's going to be... I don't know how to do this without using these words. These are the words that occur in theological discussion. There's going to be continuity and discontinuity. Uh, There's going to be something remarkably like the body you have now. And there's going to be some things remarkably not like the body you have now. There's going to be some things that will uh, be continuous from your, your, your natural body, is the term he's going to use. Uh, there's going to be some things that will go from your natural body to your your uh, your resurrection body. And there'll be some things uh, amazingly different, which we're all glad for that. But he's trying to point out that, you know, you already believe this point. If a seed dies, you plant it in the ground, something comes up, it's going to be different from that seed. Um, but there's going to be a connection to that seed. So verse 37 when he says, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Uh, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Verse 38, but God gives. So you need to just pause there for a moment. God gives. This It's obvious what Paul's saying. Resurrection of the body, like about everything else in life, is a gift from God. The resurrection of your body is going to be a new body that God will give you. So he says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. What he's going to start saying here is going to be a little obvious. There are different kinds of bodies. He's going to point out that you already know that. There are different kinds of bodies. And he's going to talk about how we will have different kinds of bodies. We have one that's natural that we have right now, and then we have one that's going to participate at the end when the resurrection of the body comes. There are different kinds of body. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Something different comes from the different seeds they're planted. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another kind for bird, uh, animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So he's saying there's lots of bodies running around. Don't just think there's one way to do body. There's lots of bodies to run around. He's going to continue. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. And what he's talking about there is um, celestial uh, stars, planets—you know. This is an aside. I offer you this at um, no extra charge. There's never ever been—the historian in me knows this. There's never ever been. Well, I can't say never. There's never ever been any intelligent, learned, learned people in the West who ever thought the Earth was flat. The ancient Greeks knew better than that. The ancient Greeks wrote about that. You see evidence in the, New Ta- in the Old Testament that they knew that the earth was a sphere. You know, people, it really irritates me when they talk about some of us who are dinosaurs and we don't want to get with the modern era and they would say we're part of the flat earth society. I'm sure you've never been called to be part of the flat earth society, but I have been called a part of the flat earth society at times. Um, it bothers me because... I don't think I'm that. But it also bothers me because it's so insulting to history. There's never been anybody other than your elementary school teacher who told you that Columbus thought he was going to float off the earth if he went so far. I mean, we've always known the earth is a sphere. And that's why we've always known there's stars, there's planets. Um, We've got lots of writings about that. So he's talking about heavenly bodies, earthly bodies. He's, he's gone through all the different kind of animal bodies. Now he's talking about, you know, there's, there's stars, there's planets. Life comes in a lot of different forms. Uh, notice why he says. There are heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. Heavenly bodies shine one way, earthly bodies shine another way. We have different glories. He's just making the case that we know there's great diversity in, in, in how life happens. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. The universe is amazingly diverse, a lot of different ways to do life. Verse 42, so, Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. So the body you have now is perishable. The body you will get one day will be imperishable. What is sown, verse 33, is sown in dishonor. We know that the earthly body, at least I know my body falls in this category. It is corruptible. It's sinful. It fails. It keeps my doctors in business. It's not perfect. Um, That's the earthly body. That's what he means. Our earthly bodies are sown in dishonor. Um, we We don't have perfect bodies. Our bodies fail us. Our bodies will continue to fail us at a more rapid rate as we get older. That's what he's referencing here when he says, you know, one body is perishable, one will be imperishable. One is sown in dishonor or corruption, but it is raised in glory. So again, he's differentiating between our two bodies. Uh, Now, he's convinced you there can be more than one kind of body. He's differentiating between our two bodies. It is sown a natural body. If your translation says physical body, um, i give you permission to exit out and put natural body. Natural body is a better translation uh, because your heavenly body is physical in a certain extent. Uh, again, if you want to get the cliff note version of what Paul thinks our resurrection body will be like, think of Jesus... Think of Jesus for those 40 days after resurrection before ascension. We see him. We have all these appearances of post-resurrection Jesus. We see him eating breakfast. We see him uh, cooking breakfast. We see that he has his physical scars. Remember, he shows them to Thomas. Um, But he showed up in some rooms without having to open locked doors. There are a few times they thought he was a ghost. So when you look at those post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, there was something gloriously different, some gloriously the same about Jesus. He was Jesus afterwards. His personality somehow was still there. The marks of his crucifixion were there. There was con- continuity and discontinuity. There some things different, there some things the same. Um, so if you want to kind of picture, because again, remember what Paul told you a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. What happened to him is the guarantee that we will be part of the harvest. What happened to him will be, will, will be, is a guarantee that it will happen to us. So um, that's why physical body probably doesn't work well here. I mean, when Jesus appeared to his disciples... There was a lot of similarity with his physical body. He was still eating. He showed the marks of his crucifixion. Um, So that's why probably the better way to translate this is natural body versus spiritual body. Um, There's some of physical in both, there's some of spiritual in both. Uh, But he's referencing here the natural body and the physical and the spiritual body. So, what is Saul in a natural body? That's your body that's corruptible that you have now. That's your body that either the remains or the cremains of, of that body will be dealt with one of these days. Um, but he also says it will be raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, and he's quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, thus he's quoted, this is written, The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So, um, N.T. Wright, one of my heroes in the New Testament world, says um, his analogy for trying to explain what Paul's getting at is, our body, he he, he talks about automobiles, uh, which I hesitate to talk about because I know nothing about automobiles. My last car, I went to Van York, I said my last eight CRV was black, so give me something that's not black. That's the way I pick out a car. So I know nothing about automobiles. But... um, what N.T. Wright says, what you need to think about here are cars with different types of fuel, cars with different types of engines. Uh, there's going to be something remarkably the same about us. Uh, the, the New Testament is clear. I say that because I get asked this question a lot. The New Testament is clear that we will know each other on the other side. We will know each other in eternity. Lazarus was still Lazarus, right? Right? Shake your head yes. And I'm referencing both Lazaruses. I'm referencing the one that Jesus raised plus the Lazarus and the rich man, you know, uh, that, that from the parable. Lazarus, Lazarus doesn't get to be John Smith on the other side. Lazarus is still Lazarus. Jesus can say stuff like, we will sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that kind of implies Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will still be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, um, we, 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 will, we will know each other. There's going to be something remarkably the same. I mean, usually in the New Testament when they see Jesus, and if one of them says, it's a ghost, one of the others real quickly says, no, it's not, it's Jesus. So, there, there's, they, they realize what they're looking at. There's something remarkably the same, remarkably different. So, that's why N.T. Wright says, uh, just think about different cars, may not look that different on the outside. Uh, there'll be some difference on the outside, um, but what is what is giving the power will be very different. Uh, right now, the Spirit of God works in our lives. The Spirit of God does not have complete complete control in our lives. In the resurrection body, our bodies will be animated completely by Jesus, who is the life-giving Spirit, is what Paul says here. Look at verse forty-six. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Again, you know that. We're all hanging out here, as far as I can tell, we're all hanging out here in our natural bodies. That's what we are first, Uh, but there's another one coming. Uh, So the natural is first, and then the spiritual. The first man, verse 47, the first man from the earth, again Adam, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's Jesus, the one who gives life to us. Verse 48, as with the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Um, remember, there's a, there's, a, there's a quotation from 1 John that begins, almost begins, most United Methodist funerals. And it is that uh, reference that says, uh, uh, we shall be like him. When we see him, we shall be like him. When we see Christ, we shall be like Christ. That's referencing the end. When this whole journey is over so um you know we're like the man of dust now but we're going become like the man of heaven like jesus um and when the end comes so that's kind of the wrap up in verse 49 just as we have born the image by the way the word image really in greek is icon we are an icon of god uh we for a long time we've known what icons are in religious art but now people know what icons are simply because of the computer stuff you can click on the icon and make it to the real thing that you're going after. But anyway, so we're all icons of God. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. At verse 50 to the end of the chapter, which we'll look at next week, is really the climax of this chapter. Let me just, we did it last week, let me just finish by reading the climax. We'll go through it next week because he's been, he's a, he has now spent 49 verses, what we Say 49 verses. We added the numbers. Paul didn't. So he spent what we call 49 verses to get to this point. I tell you this brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. I saw that hanging at church nursery one time. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a twinkling, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, and he means shofar, by the way, uh, he's Jewish, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, at the end of history, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is why sw- he's quoting Isaiah. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so that's what he's getting at. And that's what we'll look at next week. Um, just um, one quick closing story. Because you know, we all, Paul tells us all that we need to know. Paul tells us all that we need to know. Now, he doesn't tell us everything we want to know about the resurrection body. Uh, I'm curious if I'm going to have hair. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Paul doesn't, he's not concerned about my head. Um, But just to give you a little interesting piece of church history, and I may have said this at some point if I had a reason to, uh, St. Augustine, who was a brilliant church uh, father, Um, I have great, great esteem for St. Augustine, but he had his off days too. Uh, at one point in his just massive writings at one point in his writings uh, he was trying to think about what we're going to look he, he was trying to be more specific than Paul was about what we're going to look like and he came to the conclusion at least in the, that moment on that day that we're all going to look like we looked at age 33 Jesus died at age 33 Uh, I don't know. I don't know if age 33 is my favorite, but, um, you know, that's where somebody should have said to Augustine, uh, listen to Luther, speak when scripture speaks, be silent when scripture's silent. So there's a lot that we don't know about the resurrection body, but I'm glad that we're in a period of history where we are recapturing the fullness of Christian faith. It's not just about dying and going to heaven. That's wonderful. Um, As a matter of fact, N.T. Wright, who's been one of the New Testament scholars, who's reminded the church to read the whole book and to listen to all of Christian faith, uh, he likes to jokingly say to groups, heaven's not the end of the world. And it's not. That's the intermediate state. Uh, we, We rest in peace. We rest in joy. We're in the full presence of God to await the end when the new heaven and the new earth comes down and all of creation will be redeemed. Again, God wants to redeem all of creation, um, not just your spirit. Yeah, all of creation, not just your spirit. That's why I'm also convinced my dogs are going to be part of that. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. Read the beautiful imagery in the book of Isaiah about the final kingdom, the peaceable kingdom. Uh, God didn't create anything for the garbage heap. And that's why we can't let go of... Um, the resurrection of the body. We cannot let go of the sacredness of matter. That's why when you die, whatever form they bring you to the church in, remains, cremains, um, the church's responsibility is to treat that with great respect. Whether I'm, I'm bearing remains or whether I'm in earning cremains, we do that with great, great respect. Um, because when you die in this life and you lose the natural body, you're not completely through with that body at that point. Um, cremation, by the way, is no issue for God who can resurrect. That seems to be people's question. I mean, if God can resurrect, he can handle the details. Um, but what we can't let go of is the doctrine of the resurrection of the body, um, Oh that's 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 biblical. That's who we are. So next week really is the climax.